When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. What a truly gorgeous stretch of weather. I I always say to people that from, you know, typically, I I want to say from May through October. I, I don't think there's any, any more beautiful place to live than, than Wisconsin, you know, but the, whether it's the, the changing colors and all that, and, and we're really getting some bonus time. Now Now we're here in early November. We're looking at perhaps a, an all-time record high later on today in the 70s, but it, it's just been a wonderful stretch of weather. So I think we all need to enjoy this. As for me, I think I'm scheduled to go to, um, I'm going to go to uh, like neighbors of my of my stepdaughter and her husband, their 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 kid is playing in a quali- soccer qualifier. If they win tonight, they go to state. So we're we're going to be going to the soccer game and all. And I was thinking, okay, a soccer game outside November. Well, it's going to be just absolutely gorgeous. Hey, a cup. Uh, just a, a quick note and and a thank you to all of you. This is it, it's sort of a seminal week for me because this week marks the the start of this is the twenty fifth year of the program. Um, I started part-time in July of 1998, and then first week in November, full-time show, and um, it is, so this is the start of the 25th year of uh, the Jeff Wagner program on WTMJ, and that would not have happened without all the loyal listeners over the years, and it's really been incredibly rewarding, and, and actually, by any objective measure, the show is as successful, if not more successful now than it's than it's ever been, and um, we've we've made arrangements without going into details that I expect that I will be continuing this for the foreseeable future. And WTMJ is happy, and I'm happy. And I, I just I wanted to start off the program by just saying you know, thank you because I, I never dreamed. I thought when I started doing this, I originally thought maybe yeah, I'll, I'll do this for a year or two and figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And now I guess I've kind of grown up. But this is the start of the 25th year full time. I've been at WTMJ like 25 and a half years, but um, November of 1998 is when the program started full-time, and we've continued and will be continuing into, at least for the foreseeable future, is probably the best way to describe that. So thank you. I always used to end every program by saying that when it comes to your radio listening, I know you've got a lot of different choices, and I do appreciate you spending the last several hours with me. Um, that, That continues to be the case, and I certainly appreciate all of you who've found the program over the years or who have been with the show from the very beginning, I do appreciate you listening. Um, No question about it. All right, let us get started. It is the most bizarre story of certainly the last several weeks, and maybe the most bizarre story of the election campaign, and it comes just a couple days before the election. Now, and I got to back up in this before we open up the phone lines and I give you my take on this. I am not an election denier. Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in Wisconsin. 
I think that there were some irregularities in the way the, the ballotings, ballots were handled. I think there are ambiguities in Wisconsin election law that need to be cleared up. So, but that, that doesn't change the fact that I, I think that there, you know, Biden won. So I, I'm not, I'm not one of these election deniers, but that's, I also feel comfortable in saying, you know, there's things that we need to clarify. You know, what what does the law exactly mean? And can you do this? Can you not do that? And I think that that's, I think that's a fair and reasonable way to approach it. I also do not think that there is widespread election fraud. But... At the same time, for the people who say, oh, there's no possibility of election fraud, I don't think that's true either. I mean, I don't think there's been an election in Wisconsin that I can think of which has turned on the issue of, well, fraudulent votes. But at the same time, I think we should all decide that we we want to do everything we possibly can to minimize the possibility that there is going to be, you know, fraudulent voting. I mean, I think that should be a, a goal that's out there. Okay, so that what brings me to this story. Now, let me back up for a second. Military ballots. These are you know, people who are serving in the military, but who are not in Wisconsin, right? So that's, that's the standard that we're dealing with. All right, people who are in the military, what you want to do is you want to make it as easy as possible, obviously, for them to vote, Right. So under state law, if you're in the military, you do not have to register to vote, nor do you have to provide photo identification. You, you don't you do not have to do it. And, there, and again, there's a reason for it. If you're if you're if my producer, Charlie, is in the military and he's stationed in Germany. All right. He, he wants to vote here where he lives, you know, when he's not stationed in the military, so uh, when he's, you know, when he's not overseas, so they, they want to make it as easy as possible for him to do that. So you don't have to show a photo ID. You don't have to be pre-registered. All you have to do is you have to request a ballot, and it will then be sent to the address that you give. All right? That, that's the backdrop. And then presumably that, that ballot will be sent and then you can cast the ballot and you can send it you can send it in you don't have to register now again this isn't a huge number of votes but that's the way this works so what happened about a week or two ago is state representative Janelle Branchen Branchen who is she's the chairwoman of the state assembly elections committee and she has been all over the issue of election fraud this has been her her seminal issue with regard to you know the, the way she's running her her committees, believing that you know we need to make major changes in Wisconsin election law to prevent you know fraud from from occurring. So she announces what she announces um, about a week or so ago that she had received three se- at her home. She had received three separate absentee ballots for supposed military members, all had the first name of, of Holly. So she gets these three ballots that are in, in the mail sent to her. Um, I, we presume 
that these were for non-existent people. But keep in mind, you, you don't have to register. You don't have to, if you're in the military, active duty military, you don't have to go into the polls and show a photo ID and, and register. You can just request this ballot. So we presume that these ballots are fraudulent, uh, that they're for non-existent people. But she gets one for somebody named Holly that comes from a clerk in Menominee Falls, where she lives, another one from a clerk in South Milwaukee, and a third one from a clerk in Shorewood, all addressed to different women in the first name of Holly. Now, she goes public with this. She says, okay, look, this, this is what happened. I'm getting these various ballots, and this, this demonstrates how easy it would be for someone to scam the system. And her argument is, because look, if I was, if I was not an honest person and I wanted to defraud the system— I could have, or somebody on my behalf, or I could have requested these ballots in this other name, sent them to me, and there would be no way I could have voted, and there would have been no way that anybody would have known that I was casting false votes, or at least it would be difficult to find. So she goes public with this, and there's an investigation. The Waukesha County Sheriff's Department is looking into it, et cetera, et cetera. So now here's the latest development today. It turns out that the person who sent her or caused the clerk's office to send the representative the, these false, these fake ballots. And I say fake ballots, I'm using, I'm referring to, they are for non-existent people, I, I believe. It turns out that the, the person who did this is the Milwaukee Elections Commissioner Commission's Deputy Director, Kimberly Zapata. All right, she's like the number two person at the City Elections Commission. She's been working for the city for 10 years. She's been on the Elections Commission for seven. She makes—I I, I was trying to run this down. I mean, I think she, she makes north of 50 grand a year. I think maybe well north of 50 grand a year. So she's the one that caused these fake ballots, not from Milwaukee, but from other communities, to be sent to the, the state representative. Um, Mayor Cavalier Johnson, in a very terse press conference today, came out and found that came out and said she's now been fired. Um, he, this is a, a crime. It is a crime to request a, a ballot under fraudulent circumstances. It's a crime to request a ballot in a name other than yourself. So, I mean, it's clearly fraudulent, I guess, in that regard. She has them sent to the lawmaker, and the mayor comes out and says, "Well, we once she confessed to this. She, she's gone." Um, her story was, according to the mayor, that she committed the crime to show that voter fraud was possible. In other words, that this is, this is how easy it is to game the system when it comes to these military ballots. Now, I don't know if that's the case, or, or I don't know what her motivation is. I don't know that we're ever going to know her, her motivation. She says— she wants to. She wanted to expose voter fraud being possible. If you were to be a cynic, now here's the weird thing because that that might be the case. But I don't think there's too many. I don't think there's too many people working at elections commissions, particularly in the city of Milwaukee, who buy into the notion of voter fraud being possible. That that's that's been pretty much that's where you get a lot of the pushback. Secondly, with all due respect, I don't think you have a lot of. 
if to the extent this is a Republican issue, I don't think you got a lot of Republicans working at the city of Milwaukee Elections Commission. So if you were going to be cynical about this, you could say, well, maybe she was less about trying to show that voter fraud is easy and maybe more about, well, I don't know, trying to bait the state representative. What do you mean bait that? Well, let's say let's say the state representative gets these phony ballots, gets these ballots. What if she would have filled them out and sent them in? Well, now she didn't. She immediately went public and said, I got all these. But if she would have filled them out and sent them in, then, oh, here's the scandal. You've got the state representative who's committing voter fraud by turning these things in. So I, I don't know what her motivation was, although it is just completely and totally mind boggling that somebody in this particular position would choose to do that. So that's, I guess, number one. But but number two. And I want to kind of tread carefully here because I don't believe elections are decided on fraud. I I just don't. I I think is there is there potential for some fraud on the edges? Yeah, I I think that's the, the case. But I think, you know, widespread rampant fraud where elections turn because you've got thousands of fraudulent votes. I just look, I've been around Wisconsin elections for a long time, and I just don't think I don't think there's any evidence that demonstrates that. But. But, but, but this does, regardless of what this woman's motivation was, whether it was to legitimately expose the potential for voter fraud or whether it was try to try to induce a very, very outspoken state representative on the issue of voter fraud to commit fraud herself. I, I don't know what the motivation was, and I'm not sure we're ever going to know. But for everybody out there who says, oh, there, there's, there's no voter fraud at all, we don't need to look at election reform. Doesn't this demonstrate that, yeah, there, there, is, there is a very, very good possibility, or at least for people who are so inclined, that you can game the system? And in this case, it was, I mean, three of these military ballots, which I, I don't know that you would have ever, if Representative Brantigen had been a different sort of person, and if she had decided, I'm going to fill these out and send them in— And I I don't know that they would have ever been caught unless, of course, this person was trying to set her up and was going to watch to see if these ballots got returned and then say, hey, I ordered these fake ballots to be sent there. Look, somebody filled them out and this is what the scandal is. So, I mean, it's it's possible something like that could have been the ultimate motivation. But regardless of what the motivation was, whether it was to legitimately expose the potential for voter fraud or to set up the outspoken state representative who's been outspoken on the issue of voter fraud, regardless of what the motivation was, doesn't this demonstrate that at least there is a possibility that the system can, in fact, be gamed and that we need to take a step back and start looking at these laws to figure out what can we do to tighten up the rules? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet, uh, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I guess how that, that, that's how I see it. That, that, to me, is the ultimate takeaway, aside from what the motivation that this woman had at the Elections Commission to do this. Whatever, whatever her motivation might be, it does kind of demonstrate that th- this can, in fact, happen. Am I arguing that it happens, you know, with thousands and thousands of ballots? No, I'm not making that argument. But now that we see how easy it is for this to happen, don't we need to take a look at things and maybe figure out how we can tighten the laws to make sure that if you have somebody 
who really is trying to game the election on a wide-scale basis, they're not able to do it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, there, there's so many different avenues and, and aspects and ways you can go with this this story. But it now turns out that the deputy Milwaukee elections commissioner, the the like number two person in the office, was the one who was responsible for causing phony uh, military ballots to be sent to. A Wisconsin state representative who's been one of the leaders in, in talking about election fraud. Now, again, I don't know if the motivation was, as apparently her lawyer suggests, that the motivation was to you know expose how easy it is to defraud for election fraud to occur, or whether this was an effort to set up the state representative and get her to commit a crime by filling out the ballots and sending them in. I, I don't know what that motivation was, but regardless. It does demonstrate, doesn't it, that there the system the system can be gamed in some respects, and and maybe that's where we should be focusing our attention. And don't get me wrong, I'm not an election denier. I, I don't think that you can point to an example of a Wisconsin election that was stolen by fraud. But this does demonstrate for everybody who says, "Well, there's no possibility for this." Well, yeah, it it can be done. John in Fond du Lac, John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think about that? What a strange story. Well, it's not just the military. I worked for the city. I spent a lot of time at City Hall. Now, this goes back to the first Obama election, President Obama election in, in 16, uh, where they were registering people to vote. Uh, was it on the third or fourth floor, something like that? There was a line going out of the office, around the rotunda, down the stairs, and around the floor below. I listened to a couple of them, and it's like, here comes a guy, Joe Blow. I'd like to register to vote. Well, okay, Joe Blow, do you have a photo ID? No. Do you have anybody here that will vouch for you? Yes, I have Bob, mm-hmm. whatever, Bob Bingo behind me. Right. He has a photo ID. He swears that... Raises his hands. Oh yeah, this is Joe Blow. Right. Joe Blow got a ballot, and it's it's yeah. from now on he's registered to vote as Joe Blow. Yeah. Joe Blow can leave there and come back as as Joe yeah. Willie, whatever, and yeah. do that as many times as he wants. And there's nobody. Yeah. Checking on that. Yeah. I mean, thanks to call John. Yeah. I. I mean, you can construct these these things, and you're right that if you got somebody that can vouch for you, you don't need that. I just. You know, I I don't see that we haven't seen any evidence that that happens on on a widespread basis. This this is one, though, where where we see how easy it is for people who are motivated in this way for for something like this to happen. And and do I think it's you know, could it happen on a broad enough basis that it, it impacts a statewide election? No. But I guess theoretically, some local elections or whatever that could turn on 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 votes. Yes. And, and that's my only point. I'm, I'm not here screaming, oh, this is fraud, this is fraud, fraud all the time. But I do think that the, the takeaway from this should be that the system can, in fact, be gamed. And for everybody who's been told, oh, there's no possibility for election fraud. And, and well, OK, this demonstrates pretty clearly that there is this possibility for election fraud if people want to do it. We're going to continue the topics. Um, hang on. We are going to continue this for one more segment because I think it does raise this question of 
you know, for everybody that said, oh, no election fraud, nothing to see here. This is scary as to how easy it is, I guess, to get to get ballots in the hands of of people who theoretically could cast those ballots and, and do so with very, very little fear of getting caught. Our number, 855-616-1620. which is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Andrew and Waukesha. Andrew, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Yeah, thanks for taking my call and, and, and discussing this. It is an important issue, uh, and it still hasn't been resolved in this state, apparently. Um, our republic depends on secure elections. And currently, we have our entire mindset backwards on what an election actually is. It's not a popularity contest. We don't have to be concerned with every single person coming out to vote. You know, Steve Scafidi talked about how modern polling works and how a small sample size can actually represent a large body of people. In-person voting can get a large enough sample size to represent the opinions and values and feelings of the entire state. And it is the only way to have secure elections and to create a quorum of the citizens acting for the only time as their direct representation. And we have it all backwards with this idea that we need to just create a system to ensure that everybody has the opportunity to vote. That is not how to secure Mm -hmm. our democracy. Well, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I guess, Andrew, I, I, I see, I, I, I think we should make it as easy as possible for, for people to vote. I, I don't and, – and then the parties, whether it's Democrat or Republican, should just, you know, present it to people as this is the ideas, these are our policies, and, 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 and we're not going to have to try to worry about who it is that votes. And then try to turn out the people that are, are supportive to you. I mean, turnout has always been this kind of issue. So I, I just – I've never been one that believes that we ought to have to put up all sorts of artificial barriers to access to voting. At the same time, there are some things that just strike me as being completely obvious. Voter ID is one of those. And as we've argued about over over the years, voter ID, you know, you have to show a photo ID to do almost anything in this world. And the truth of the matter, whether it's you know open a bank account or get on an airplane or cash a check or whatever, you have to have an ID. And the argument I've always made is if you have a, a particular group of individuals that don't have photo IDs, well, rather than – I mean that the, the mission should be let's get these people photo IDs so they can participate in the things that you need to do because it's very, very difficult to do anything in American society nowadays unless you have the photo ID. So voting would just be one of those. So, I mean, I've always thought that that was a, a reasonable thing to have people have to show who, who they are. Now, you can go to extremes and say, well – Okay, you know, should you have to every time you vote, should you have to go and show up and prove that you're a citizen or things like that? I I think there's a balancing act that that is out there. But this idea of denial, the idea of of denial that's out there that, okay, there's nothing like this at all. This does. And that's the takeaway from this. Whatever this this woman's motivation was, again, whether it was to expose how easy it is to commit voter fraud or whether it was to try to set up an outspoken state Republican state representative and see if you could induce her to commit voter fraud, whichever one of those the motivations were, it still demonstrates that, you know, it's easy for people who are motivated apparently to make up people and get military ballots that, that are sent to them. Now, do I think this has happened again? 
again, that it's, it's, it's at such a level that has caused, you know, um, it has caused elections to, to flip-flop in Wisconsin. No, there's no evidence that suggests that, but it does show that this is, it's possible to do, and don't we want to do something that eliminates eliminates that possibility? Damien in Manitowoc. Damien, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I just got more of a story. Uh, in the 2016 election, I went to vote, and I was living in Campbellsport, small town. And this guy was ahead of me. And uh, when the lady asked for his ID, he handed her the wrong one from a different state. Okay. And he was like, oh, oh, sorry. And he, like, pulled out a stack of IDs and started sorting through it to find the Wisconsin one. And, I I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not saying that this guy, that happens. You know, Mm -hmm. he could have just moved a lot. But it was just really weird, and then I ended up following him out, and he got into a car with plates from a different state that he handed her, and he just sped out of there. Hmm. And everybody's like, has anybody ever seen that guy before? It was a small town, you know, so I can't say it was, you know, know, anything, but it just is odd. Yeah, Damien, thanks. And, and, you know, everybody's got anecdotal stories like that, and I— I don't think anybody would argue, or at least that that there's, you know, there, there's never been any sort of voter fraud. I'm just saying that I think it's it's not widespread, and that's just kind of the reality. It is interesting. I'm getting these texts from people who are just they're, they're outraged that we're even talking about this story. How dare you suggest that there might be any way to manipulate these elections? Well, okay, my response is. Get your head out of the damn sand, because this demonstrates how easy it is to do this. One of our texters says, well, she got the ballots. That's as far as it would go, right? No, no, that's the thing. She would have, in this case, the state representative got the ballots. She went public and said, hey, I'm getting these ballots. But let's say, let's say that you have somebody that does want to cast multiple ballots. So you request Various ballots be sent. Maybe you're a little bit more sophisticated and you don't have them sent to your address, but you put in, you request, hey, I want a military ballot sent, um, one in South Milwaukee. I want one sent in Shorewood. I want one sent in Menominee Falls. Maybe you have them delivered to different addresses. The point is that there's no check that goes on there. So once you get that ballot and to cast a military ballot, you don't need to show a photo ID. You don't have to be registered. You just fill this out with the fake name. You, you submit it. And it's presumably going to be counted, and your chances of getting caught if you do that are are not great, especially if you've completely made up somebody, because somebody's going to have to go back and, I don't know, compare the name with the active duty milit- with the whole list of active duty military people to determine if it's fake. Again, do I think this happens a lot? No, but it demonstrates that this can, in fact, happen, and that people inside the system know how to do this. Dick and Sean O'Dick, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, this should have been a sting operation that the State Elections Commission and the Department of Justice put together and run on a regular basis. you got to do it in all the municipalities, do it. Um, in some respects, the, the, the person at the Elections Commission has put a shined a light on how easy it is to do this. Yeah, yes. Right, and I guess that's that's my point, that we need to, instead of just denying that there, there's no potential for fraud or this can never happen, you should look at this and say, okay, 
even if you don't buy into the fact that it's changed election results, we see how easy it is, to your point, that this can happen, and we need to figure out ways to to close loopholes or whatever to stop it from happening in the future. I think this just highlights the um, ineffectiveness of the State Elections Commission and you know, their overall denial that these things can happen. Uh, as easy as it was for this woman at the elections uh, organization there in Milwaukee to do this, just think if you've got uh, t- 200 people who went out and got 200 absentee ballots, mm-hmm. each one of them sent to various addresses, we're talking about what? Uh, yeah. 200, 400. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about thousands of votes. Yeah. And people will say, well, that can't happen. What do you mean it can't happen? The people who do this nefariously pick addresses like, let's say, large nursing homes. Right. You got a couple of people in the front office of the nursing home involved in this. Right. Or, the, the, yeah, or, or, or your friends. Yeah. No, it, it's again, it's and I don't take thanks for call. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not sitting here on the radio screaming, oh, these elections were stolen, and this demonstrates that Trump won in 2020. That's not my point. My point is simply that this can, in fact, happen. And, you know, now you've seen it. And if the purpose of the now-fired deputy director of the Milwaukee Elections Commission was to demonstrate that voting fraud is easy— well, she, she's demonstrated that pretty clearly. If her purpose was to try to set up Representative Brannigan for this, well, okay, that didn't work because the, the representative blew the whistle on, on this particular thing. But if, if you did this in a more sophisticated fashion, you could, in fact, have people voting multiple times, and the chances of it being caught would not be great at all. And, and that's my only point of this. You know, moving forward— Instead of just saying nothing to see here, maybe you have to take a look at some common sense, common sense things that make the likelihood of this happening less at the same time without significantly interfering with the right of people to vote. And I'm getting all these texts from people who are just in in the state of denial. Oh, this would have been caught. Well, Maybe, but but maybe not. And and military ballots are handled differently than other types of ballots. And some people are saying, well, after the election, there would have been a comparison and they would have like looked at signatures and things like that. But that's that's after the election. And and you don't even if you can identify this, you, you don't go back. You can't figure out what the ballot is and you, you don't go back. And if you have a and it's not going to be a statewide race, I don't think. But if you have, I don't know, some local election or something that's decided by five or ten votes, you're not going to be able to go back and figure out, you know, what whether those five or ten votes were, whether those five or ten votes were, were cast fraudulently or not. Jeff, will she be arrested and charged with a felony for doing this? Well, the district attorney's office, now in this case it's the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, will be investigating it. But my guess is... Yeah, that there will be criminal charges. They had criminal charges that were issued against the guy in Racine who caused, you know, ballots to be sent um, to, to like Robin Voss's house. I think it was something like like that. And I, his his defense was the same sort of thing. His defense was, well, I was just trying to, I was just trying to call attention to how easy this is. 
Um, but but he's been charged. I think obviously when you've got the deputy elections commissioner who's doing this, it's it's tougher. I think it's fair to be a lot more skeptical of you know what the motivation is. Jeff, there's no doubt that election fraud could take place. However, being an election official myself in Metro Milwaukee, there are such good checks and balances on election day when all the ballots are counted that we believe the fraudulence can be easily identified. Could something slip through the cracks, such as from an insider? It's definitely possible, but it's far and fewer in between. Um, and to say it could be widespread would be false. Well, I, I don't know that anybody's arguing it could be widespread, but it demonstrates that it can be happen. It can happen. I guess my point is, if we know, all right, if, if we know, all right, let's take the car theft thing. If we know that there's a arguable defect in Kias and Hyundais that makes it easier for them to steal, all right, isn't it responsible for them to go ahead and, and change you know, like, like change, which is what they've done, like change the system. So this thing that had been exploited is now, you know, not working out that way. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying you can be in denial. And I, even if you don't believe that why that fraud is widespread, and even if you don't believe it's changing the course of elections, and I don't believe that either, is that a justification for not trying to identify and stop fraud from occurring? Just asking. One of our texters makes an interesting point on this. If the deputy elections commissioner in Milwaukee who who sent these ballots, caused these non these ballots for non-existent military people to be sent out, if, if she really wanted to expose how easy it is for voting fraud, wh- wh- why not send them to like a Democratic representative? Why, why not send them to some representative in Milwaukee, if that's the point you're trying to make, as opposed to picking out, you know, one of the people, in this case, the uh, representative who's the chairman of the chairwoman of the Assembly Elections Committee. Why why pick out her if it wasn't to try to see whether she might fill out the ballots and, and then send them in? We have put in a call to State Representative uh, Brandigan's office and see if she might be available to come on and talk about her reaction to all this. And if we're able to get her on the air, we will certainly do that before the end of the program. The other bizarre story... Today, um, Milwaukee Bucks head coach Mike Butenholzer, his car was stolen in Walker's Point. I, I have there's a lot of great restaurants in Walker's Point, and um, we we patronize several of them. Matter of fact, the last time we were in, there, there's a really great restaurant in Walker's Point that um, we we go to quite a bit. And last time we were there, there was the Bucks coach who was sitting. You know, he was he was at the bar having dinner. You know, at, at the bar and stuff. And, and somebody said, "Who is that?" And I said, "Well, it's the it's the Bucks coach that's there." So I mean, I think he he patronizes these places a lot. And apparently, the story is he went, he parked his car, um, apparently um, near South 2nd Street and West Florida Street, and he's driving an Audi. He left his keys in the Audi. (laughs) He left his keys in the car. Somebody does need to say, hey, uh, coach, you know, you realize this is Milwaukee, and, you know, if you're not in a secured parking lot, leaving your keys in the car is not a very good start. Now, Audis are tough to drive. You know, have to, it's, you, you got to know there's a certain procedure you got to go through to get them into gear and stuff. But apparently whoever this thief was, you know, was able to do it. So anyhow, he leaves his keys in his Audi. The car gets stolen. They find it, you know, a couple hours later, you know, in another part of the city. And the cops give him a ride home. Some people are incensed with that. I don't have a problem with giving him a ride home. It's, he's the coach of the Bucks. That That's okay with me. But it does demonstrate that uh, nobody is safe from car theft. And also... Um, maybe you don't want to leave your keys in your Audi if you're having dinner in Milwaukee. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right. Now, to put the, the remarks that President Biden made in a national address yesterday in, in context, you have to sort of understand what it appears is going to happen on Tuesday. Now, I say appears because we, we've all seen over the last several years that polls are oftentimes wrong and and pundits are oftentimes wrong. And just because something looks like it's going to happen before the election doesn't necessarily mean that it, that it will. So that, that we have to put that in context. But it is looking more and more like this Republican, this red wave that people have been talking about, that it is, in fact, going to land. I'm not even going to talk about the House of Representatives. I think by, by you can go you know, district by district, but I don't think anybody seriously believes that the Republicans are not going to take control of the House of Representatives on, on Tuesday. That's just – and you can argue why that is and whether it's Biden's fault or whether this is just something that normally happens in midterms. But – but it's going to happen, I think. The, the bigger question is, what is going to happen to the U.S. Senate? The U.S. Senate right now is, of course, 50-50. And it means that if all 50 Democrat senators stay together, which they haven't, um, and it's a tie vote, then the vice president, who's a Democrat, gets to cast the vote. So th- this has been the challenge that's out there. It's uh, where does this go? And much of the smart money— thinks that the Republicans are going to take control of the U.S. Senate as well. Here, here's kind of the deal. Um, Herschel Walker, who is the um, superstar you know, football player from Georgia, he's in a very, very tight race with the uh, Democrat, Ralph Warnock, who, who won two years ago in a special election. But most of the polls right now are showing that Walker is ahead by one or two or or three points. Now, if neither of the candidates gets 50 percent of the vote, then you have a runoff on December 6th. But right now it looks like Walker is ahead and Walker, that would be a Republican pickup. Um, In Nevada, You've got um, Adam Laxalt, who is running. He's the Republican, and the polls are starting to show him pulling ahead. If that's the case, that would be a Republican pickup. Now, you've got Ohio. You've got Vance, who's a Republican, running for what is now an open seat. The polls are suggesting that that's that he's going to win, that that's a, that would be a hold. The polls are suggesting that Ron Johnson is going to win. That would be a Republican hold. Polls are suggesting that um, in North Carolina, the Republican candidate is going to win. That would be a hold. Um, Pennsylvania, which was viewed as, as maybe this is a seat that the Democrats could pick up. Right now, Dr. Oz is leading or tied in most of the polls. That's going to be a close one. But you start looking at this, and, you know, it's more and more likely, and again, who knows what's going to happen, but it's more and more likely, I think, it's more likely that the Republicans can take control of the Senate than the Democrats do. That's just, I, I think, the assessment that a lot of people are having. And again, I think it's pretty clear Nancy Pelosi is not going to be the Speaker of the House, you know, moving forward. I think Republicans are going to control that. And there's clearly a degree of frustration that, that is out there on the part of a lot of Democrats, and it's out there on the part of President Biden, which leads to this speech that he gives last night. And I swear, I, I've, I've never seen a, a speech like this. Um, I, I think it's almost unprecedented 
for the president of the United States to give this type of partisan speech um, describing the midterm elections really as a choice between preserving democracy by voting for Democrats or putting democracy at risk by backing Republicans. And, you know, the speech, he says, okay, well, remember, you know, we're still, you know, we're still fighting 2020. Remember, you know, what happened on January 6th, 2020? You know, Biden doesn't want to talk about the economy. He doesn't want to talk about inflation. He doesn't want to talk about crime. It's just remember what happened on 2020. I know there's a lot at stake in these midterm elections from our economy to the safety of our streets to personal freedoms, the future of health care, Social Security and Medicare. It's all important. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. Democracy is on the ballot this year. All right. In a typical year, we are often not faced with the question of whether the vote we cast will preserve democracy or put us at risk. But this year, we are. The remarkable thing about American democracy is this. Just enough of us on just enough occasions have chosen not to dismantle democracy but to preserve it. We must choose that path again. So Biden is out there saying, hey, you got to go vote for the Democrats, because if you don't, this is going to end democracy as we know it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. My response, please. I mean, really? I, look, I, I, I understand that this is kind of the Hail Mary because Biden is seeing the same numbers internally that a lot of people are seeing publicly. But this idea that democracy is going to be somehow challenged if Republicans take control, when Republicans can take control of the House of Representatives and or the Senate. Now, I admit that, you know, Biden's agenda is going to be challenged and will probably come to a, a screeching halt if either one of those things happen. They take control of the Assembly of Congress, either the House of Representatives or the Senate, or both. But this idea that democracy cannot survive, I mean, seriously, demagogue much? That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, democracy always survives. And that's just, that's the, the, the reality. You know, even after Trump in 2020, we had the transition. Joe Biden is the president. Democrat Stacey Abrams in 2020 claimed that the election was stolen in Georgia. That's why she lost. Well, we we had the orderly transition of power. Now you've got a new election. You know, supporters of Hillary Clinton in 2016 believed that the election was stolen by Donald Trump. Well, we we had a transition of power. I mean, remember Bush Gore in 2000, you know, when Bush ended up winning after, you know, months and months of litigation in Florida. Democracy survived. At some point in time, you just kind of want to look at some of this rhetoric and say, okay, really, democracy itself on the ballot? 855-616-1620, your reaction. Let's start with Scott. Okay. Let's start with Scott in Greendale. I'm sorry, I gave my producer the wrong cue. Scott in Greendale. Scott, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for bringing this up, because I was absolutely appalled, uh, just like you were uh, when Biden uh, used that tone uh, in front of the entire country. And I just uh, it gets so frustrating to me because obviously they accuse uh, a lot of conservatives such as myself of, of being alarmist or what have you. And then Biden came out and said that. But I'll tell you what, equally so, the real elephant in the room, and I can't believe it hasn't been picked up more was President, former President Obama's comments that he made 
about two or three days ago mm-hmm. on the campaign trail when basically he suggested that the current political climate if it would not change. And and I took that to also mean if, if more conservatives are in power, we could have more physical violence in this country. And I said, wow, mm-hmm. wait a second. Like, if that would have come out of the mouth of Donald J. Trump, holy camoly, he would have been, uh, you know, tried for treason. So well, those are my points. No, thanks for calling. Well, I mean, there, there's no question that this is, in the effort to change the subject, all right, now we, we, we've talked about abortion, abortion, abortion. Now, now this, is, this is kind of that last-minute Hail Mary. Democracy itself is at stake. Now, come on. I, 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 I understand that if Republicans take over, there might be added scrutiny on, I don't know, things like sending ballots to, for non-existent soldiers to people. There, there might be scrutiny. But this idea that democracy itself— I mean, you really want to tell people to dial this back, because here's the truth of the matter. Democracy is just going to be fine. We're going to have an orderly transition of power if that occurs. If if Tim if Tim Michaels loses the election and Tony Evers stays in Madison, all right, that, that might not be the best thing at all for the state of Wisconsin, but there's going to be that. There's not going to be people storming the Capitol with pitchforks demanding to throw Tony Evers out of office. That's just simply not going to happen. And I understand that you have... A, you had these yahoos that acted up on January 6, 2020. The people who did that deserve to be prosecuted. And to the extent that Donald Trump, you believe that he encouraged that, it's fair to criticize him for that. It's fair to say, hey, if he runs again, this is something that demonstrates that he's unfit to hold public office. I get that. But we, even after that, we had a transition of power. Democracy survives. If democracy is so weak that it can't sustain oh, I don't know, having Joe Biden's party thrown out of power, then we, we've got bigger problems than just the Democrats are losing power. And it's this demagoguery that just drives me nuts. We continue the conversation in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Now, we, we just heard, well, you, you hear lots of ads. <laughs> And, and you'll continue to hear ads through Tuesday. And we always talk about these ads that cut through, quote unquote, I say cut through the clutter because there's so many ads out there. I, I think, you know, people are kind of turned off or they just don't pay attention. Oh, this is one that says that Tim Michaels, you know, um, you know, hates dogs and kills women and things like that. Um, you know, you, you get that and then you get the flip side of, of these sort of arguments. And it's tough to cut through the clutter. I was watching television last night, actually, my wife and I, and we, we there's a there's a Ron Johnson ad that I think is just incredibly effective. It's him in a flannel shirt, and it looks like he's kind of like raking leaves and talking into the camera. And it's one of those, a lot of times the traditional arc of a campaign is you, you know, you go very negative, and then the last couple days you come back to some more positive ads to try to, you know, encourage those people who might be on the fence about you to vote for you. And it was really, it was one of those ads that cut through the clutter. And I, I just, I happened to notice it, and I thought, boy, that one really... That that pays attention. And again, if you believe the polls, looks like Ron Johnson's going to win. But I guess a lot of stuff can happen. But anyhow, because I think Joe Biden is looking at a lot of those polls and a lot of internal ones, he recognizes that Senate in, in both the Senate and especially in the House, Democrat majorities are, are very much at risk. So he gives the speech yesterday talking about, hey, you've got to vote for Democrats because I, I understand there's other issues like the economy and crime and all this other stuff, the border. I understand there's issues, but if you don't vote for Democrats, you've got to realize that democracy is at risk. And 
my reaction was, oh, come on. I mean, at some point in time, now this is a follow-up to the speech he gave a couple weeks ago about how, you know, the it's the, the mega Republicans. But by, by that he means, you know, anybody who votes Republicans. You know, they're, they're out to undermine this country. Jeff, what a joke. This is just an act of desperation. If it wasn't for bad decisions the Democrats have made for our country, they might not have to be as desperate. Um... Yeah, Jeff, this is Tony from Fond du Lac. Democrats are so desperate they have signs up. I've passed many today that say, choose reason, not treason. <laughs> um, okay, that that's it. Jeff, his speech sounded just as bad as the current political ads that we are force-fed. Um, well, I, I think there's an element of that. And again, this is... It's not condoning, you know, what happened on January 6th when you had, you know, yahoos that that ended up storming the Capitol. That was unexcusable and inexcusable, and the people that did it deserve to be prosecuted. But this idea that, okay, well, well now, or if you want to raise questions about, you know, voting procedures and things like that, you're anti-democracy. Trust me, if things go as I expect them to go on on Tuesday night— and if by Wednesday or Thursday you have Republican majorities in the House of Representatives and the Senate, democracy is going to get along just fine. Now, Joe Biden, Joe Biden might find it a little more difficult to I mean, pass his his agenda. No question about that. Jeff, I think the speech was terrible. We don't need that at any time. This is the current role of politicians and the media. Both of them need to keep this rhetoric alive. Without it, the general public might actually talk to each other. If that happens, we will realize that we agree on probably close to 80 percent of the common topics or that we can at least find some common ground. Once that's realized, party line politicians are gone and the media is exposed. They need the conflict to keep the public from realizing this. Well, that's why you, you see all the stuff. That's why, like, Look, Donald Trump, love him or hate him, polarizing factor. No question about it. But Trump's been gone for two years. Now, Trump might want to try to make a comeback in 2024, and we'll see where that goes if that happens. But Trump isn't on the ballot right now. And yet we're still having, oh, remember, this is Trump and this is Trump. And if you vote for this, this is it's like voting for Trump. They, they can't get past that. And again, I was just I was watching what the president said last night. I was just shaking my head because instead of talking about, hey, we need to elect Democrats because we're going to get a handle on what's going on with inflation, or we need to elect Democrats because we need to get a handle on crime or the border or fill in the blank, it's democracy is on the ballot. No, Mr. President, democracy is going to be just fine. Your agenda may be imperiled, but I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. So very glad to have you with us. Now, I think, uh, you know, a number of people are saying, well, don't you getting all these texts? Don't don't you understand democracy really is on the button? No. Let me give you a classic example. Let, let's let us turn back the clock a little more than a decade. I was around doing this radio show. Maybe you were listening to me at the time when we had all the controversy about Act 10. You remember when Scott Walker gets elected in November of 2010, announces the he's, he's pushing Act 10. There's enough Republican votes to get Act 10 through, and there's this huge 
revolution. You have union people who are parachuting in from all over the country. You have a, a group of the usual suspects who storm Madison. They storm the state capitol. They take over the capitol. Democrats in the state Senate leave and end up in um, Illinois for, what, the better part of a month trying to unsuccessfully, you know, stall a vote. Okay, you know, you didn't hear people saying democracy was at risk there. No, what, what happened is these were, I mean, it was a giant temper tantrum. Um, there was, in my opinion, some criminal activity that was involved. But at the end of the day, democracy prevailed. A- at the end of the day, the will of the people is expressed through the majority of their elected representatives came out. And, you know, ultimately the Democrats came back. They voted. We have Act 10. You can argue about whether it was good or bad or not. But, you know, there was this collective hissy fit that was thrown. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you had then you went on. You had a recall effort that Scott Walker ended up winning. Democracy worked. Democracy survived. Democracy is not that vulnerable so that if you choose to vote for Republicans, contrary to what the president of the United States suggests, that trust me, democracy is not on the ballot. Democracy will exist next Wednesday. Democracy will exist, you know, when new people are sworn in come January. And some of this fear mongering is nothing but that. All right. We're going to completely switch gears coming up in the next half hour. So do you know who Jerry Jones is? It, it, Jerry Jones is the uber-wealthy owner of the Dallas Cowboys, which some people think is America's team. Not me, but that's, that's Jerry Jones. Okay, so Jerry Jones is very, very outspoken, very, very prominent. And if you think, and if, I, if I said, you know, name, name five NFL, five owners of NFL football teams, my guess is that most people, if they're trying to put that list of owners together, Jerry Jones would be on on that list. So Jerry Jones is very, very outspoken, in part because he's so wealthy, and also in part because he owns the Dallas Cowboys and they have the profile they have. So here's the deal. Last weekend was, of course, Halloween. And we've talked in the past about the trouble that Halloween costumes can get people in. Yesterday, we did a segment about this cognitively disabled guy who decided to dress up as Adolf Hitler last Saturday night and walk down State Street. And it freaked all sorts of people out. And the Madison police arrived and said, well, we think this is in really poor taste, but the guy hasn't committed a crime. But it turns out that he worked for the Madison's Children's Museum and the Children's Museum fired him for He's a 10-year employee, but they fired him for dressing up for Halloween as as Adolf Hitler, and we discussed whether that was an overreaction or not. So here's the deal. Jerry Jones goes to uh, apparently a Halloween party. It's still unclear where he went, but he he goes to a party. It was either Saturday or Sunday after the Dallas Cowboys game, and he and members of his family were all dressed up in costumes. The costume that Jerry Jones— War. And I'm looking at it now. He went as a blind NFL referee. Um, he was wearing like a striped shirt like the NFL referees wear. He was wearing like the black pants that the NFL referees would wear. He had a white hat on and he had um, sunglasses, that, these darkened sunglasses, and he had a cane as if somebody who was blind would, would wear. And it Clearly, he was trying to make a statement. You know, Jones is famous for, like, ripping the referees and stuff. And he was saying, okay, well, you know, so he was a blind referee. 
Um, the reaction, and it was interesting, I'm looking at a story, for example, in the Fort Worth local newspaper, the, the columnist is saying, well, you know, he, he can get in trouble with this for the NFL, but, you know, this is, this is pretty funny. That was the general sort of reaction. And Jones is like, yeah, this is, this is it. Now, some people were suggesting that the NFL could fine him because owners aren't supposed to criticize referees, but that's not where this story is going. Well, after these, after these photos become public— it's not the NFL that wades in, but rather it's organizations for the blind. Here's the story. Halloween costume plays into harmful stereotypes, blind organizations say. Halloween costumes like Jerry Jones's blind referee play into stereotypes that the visually impaired are incompetent. So says the National Federation of the Blind, which tells TMJ, TMZ Sports that these kinds of outfits are are harmful. Jones dressed up in a ref uniform and sported sunglasses and a walking stick over the holiday weekend in an attempt to playfully go after NFL officials for missing penalty calls. While Jones certainly isn't the first person to sport the costume, the National Federation for the Blind tells us it's an unfortunate choice, especially because it leans into the underlying stereotype that the blind are incompetent. When anyone perpetuates that stereotype, it's harmful, says the director of PR. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I don't know where, what you do with, with Halloween costumes anymore because it seems like there's always going to be somebody somewhere who is, is offended. And in this case, Organization for the Blind says Jerry Jones was insensitive. This is awful that he chose to go as a blind referee. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Was this, was this costume mocking blind people? Is that the takeaway that most people would get from this, that blind people are incompetent? Or would it be a suggestion that if you were vis- visually disabled, you, you shouldn't be an NFL referee? Is, is that saying that people are incompetent? I, I don't know. You, you mean— Last time I checked, you, you didn't see anybody who couldn't see, uh, you know, who was employed as as a referee in the NFL. But should we be offended by what Jerry Jones did, or is this just an effort to try to create an issue where no issue exists? 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. So the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, Jerry Jones, he goes to a Halloween party over the weekend, and there's pictures of him on the Internet. He's dressed as a blind referee. He's got the dark glasses. He's got the, the cane. He's got the zebra shirt. He's got the pants. And, and of course, what he's doing is... For everybody who's ever gone to a sporting event like a baseball game and yelled, hey, you're blind, ump, or something like that, he's... He's mocking the, the referees and his criticism of referees for not being able to see calls and things like that. And I think that's the way most people took it. Originally, the thinking was he might be in trouble with the NFL because they don't like to have owners criticize the, the referees. In this particular case, though, the National Organization of the Blind has weighed in. They say, oh, this is, this is incredibly hurtful. Um, it's harmful. It plays to—it's an unfortunate choice because it—, it leans into the underlying stereotype that blind are incompetent. 
and it is perpetuating that stereotype. And I guess I'm looking at thinking, hey, this this doesn't perpetuate a stereotype that that blind people are incompetent, but yet it, rather it's playfully intended to poke fun at the officials because I don't think anybody would argue that, well, you, you wouldn't have somebody who'd be a football official if they couldn't see. Um, our number, 855-616-1620, and it pains me to defend Jerry Jones, but uh, where do you go with Halloween for, you know, goodness sake? Jeff, I think this costume is rather funny. I don't think it's stereotyping blind people as dumb or incompetent. There are certain occupations that blind people cannot perform, and refereeing is one of them. Everyone needs to just relax a little bit. Jeff, I'm definitely not a Jerry Jones fan, but I did get a chuckle about his costume. And for the NFL and people who can't take a joke, all I can say is either lighten up Francis, the great line from the movie Stripes, or maybe, in the words of Aaron Rodgers, relax. Um, (laughs) You know, um, Jeff, absolutely no one should have interpreted this as a commentary on blind people. It's only about, you know, the refs. I, I think that's it. Jeff, Halloween often has costumes that create characters that are not real. Why must people look for trouble with fun in Halloween? Um, was was the gag that blind refs obviously don't exist or that refs might as well be blind? The answer is, who cares? Have fun. Right. That's, you know, that's that's, I guess, the, the bigger point. And I mean, when I when I looked at this, I, I have to admit, I, I didn't think I was being insensitive. I kind of smiled because it, it was I mean, it's a classic Jerry Jones sort of thing. It's kind of a takeoff on, hey, the referees are blind. I don't think any reasonable, rational person would have taken this as a mocking of people who have the disability. Jeff, to me, it doesn't make fun of blind people, but rather points to the inability of refs not being able to see what they should see or correctly see what they're seeing. Um, If anyone should be upset, I would think it would be the refs. But regardless, it's a nothing burger in my book um, either way. People need to quit being offended about everything. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, who was insulted, blind people or NFL referees? I can see this as an SNL skit that no one would dare criticize. There's an element of that. Jeff, I'm not a big fan of Jerry Jones. However, I don't think wearing this costume is disrespectful to the blind community. It's not saying that blind people are incompetent at all. It's saying that the refs have bad vision when they make calls. It was all in fun. And again, the PC community is making something out of absolutely nothing. Um, Yeah, it's Halloween. The kids play. It's funny. Get over it. That, That really is, I think that's one of the problems. Now, I don't I can't tell you the last time I went to a costume party, and I, you know, we, I, we, we just don't do that. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know what sort of costume you would find because somebody somewhere somehow is going to look at the costume and, and find something to be offended by, about. Hey, I went as a fireman. Oh, you're just appropriating that. You know, you know, you, you can't. I don't know where you end up drawing the line. Hey, I dressed up in a dog costume. Oh, see, you're being offensive to to dogs. You're mocking these animals. Jeff, America has lost its sense of humor. Every organization has to be offended from time to time just to prove they exist. Jeff, this is ridiculous. We are getting way too soft as a society. The only thing that it represents is that the blind can't actually seeing refereeing to a ref, not seeing the call, and that's what it's all about. It's funny, so it's fun relax. Um, yeah. And again, I, can you, could you have costumes 
that were offensive or intended to offend or would reasonably offend people who were blind or visually impaired. Of course, I just I, I won't. I, I can easily think of a couple off the top of my head, but I don't think that's what this was. Let's talk to Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jim. Jim, Jim, Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think of this? Well, I am blind. I went to the school for the visually impaired in Janesville back in the 60s, and therefore I was around a lot that were totally blind. I'm not totally blind. Um, I do have a cane for when I go out and about when there's a lot of um, Mm -hmm. lot of traffic and stuff. But I do not think that Jerry Jones meant this intensively for the blind person. He just knows, like most of the rest of us NFL fans, that so many calls have been misinterpreted by these refs. And even on the replays, they they see some ones, but they still go against it. And if there are sure, I'm sure there are some blind people out there that take this to offense. They shouldn't, because now if somebody was running in the wall playing that part and stuff like that, it's sure. a different take. Yeah. But but you know, I just I just feel that Jerry. Sometimes you might not like the guy, but I don't think he meant it that no. way. No, I, I'm and, with you, Jim. Um, no, thanks for going. No, I'm with you, and I don't think he. And I don't think most reasonable people would be offended by this. Jeff, this is totally ridiculous. I happen to be visually impaired, and I didn't even think when I first heard the story about anything but how funny it is. Um, well, that's 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 it. This isn't a again. This isn't a this is a mocking of the NFL referees. <laughs> Jeff, I was a high school baseball coach. I would always dress as a blind umpire on on Halloween. Yeah, that's you know that's that's the kind of the way it it went. Jeff, can't anyone take a joke anymore? No, I think the answer is that that nobody can take a joke anymore. Jeff, I'm a high school sports official. A few years ago, I dressed up as a blind football official. I had sunglasses on and a stick to help find my way. This had nothing to do with blind people. Yes, exactly. And you you had no controversy at all. Jeff, I think most blind people would find this to be clever and and funny. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I understand that there's there's costumes that can be hurtful and can perpetuate negative stereotypes and things like that. I understand there's costumes that kind of be out there that that mock people with disabilities. This this isn't anything like this. It's a football referee, and we, we've all heard, hey, you're blind, ump. Hey, ref, you're blind. You didn't see that. That's not mocking people with disabilities. It's just a commentary on the state of officiating. But again, nowadays, you know, nobody can do this stuff at all. It's all like, all right, we have to take this very, very seriously, and we have to be offended. And I guess it does go back to that line that one of our texters was saying from the movie Stripes, sometimes collectively— we, we need to channel our outrage, and for a lot of stuff, the best response is just three words. Lighten up, Francis. Lighten up, Francis. We are—we're getting a lot of texts on this, as you might expect, um, and dozens and dozens and dozens. And interesting, I'm hearing from a number of people who are visually impaired. Jeff, I'm visually impaired. I'm not a big Jerry Jones fan, but this is funny. I'm certainly not offended. Thanks for your show. Well, thank you for— Listening, Jeff, I've never heard of anyone thinking that blind people are incompetent because they're blind. 
Ray in Illinois says, Jeff, I'm blind, and I thought that this was kind of, you know, funny. Um, that's, you know, that's the, the whole notion of that. Jeff, being offended is only a sign of insecurity. The acting person might not have the greatest taste, but ultimately it's the strength of one's self-being that dictates those feelings. Jeff, you said it correctly. No reasonable or rational person would be offended. These are not reasonable or rational people. Well, no, it's it's kind of like you almost wonder whether people, if they seriously believe this or they just feel compelled to, to make this. Now, the National Federation for the Blind does all sorts of great work, and I, I'm sure they do get all sorts of reports and issues that they have to deal with where people who are visually impaired are, in fact, legitimately legitimately being discriminated against or things of the like. Uh, so I, I assume that, you know, they, they do have to respond to those legitimate issues that, that are out there. And I'm sure that there are reports of people who are on occasion, you know, denying people their civil rights or, or whatever because of their visual impairment. And nobody is endorsing that at all. But I guess I think you just weaken your hand and you make it tougher for people to take you seriously if you react to, to everything, and the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, Jerry Jones was mocking the blind people, and he was you know, um, implying that blind people are incompetent. No, no, he wasn't. He was implying that referees are incompetent, and that's a whole other discussion. All right, coming up in the next hour, she lost her job because of something she did in high school. What is it about parking lots and Blockbuster? We've got three great topics we're going to get to. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I want to do a very, very quick, just one segment, Electronic Town Hall. I, I admit I did not notice this today. I um, I generally have to fill up my tank with gasoline one, once a week or so. That, that's kind of just the, the way it works, sometimes more if I if I you know, drive a little bit more, but generally it's once a week. And I remember, um, for me, it was Sunday because I'd gotten down to less than an eighth of a tank, which I almost never do. But I remember pulling in Sunday morning, went out and filled up the car with gas. And I I think I paid like 360 something or other for, for the gasoline. Wasn't paying, and I haven't been paying much attention to it because I don't need to fill up at least till probably, you know, another few days. Last night, I was coming back from somewhere I went after work, and I noticed that gas had gone up to the stations by me. It seemed like it had gone up like 20 cents a gallon. It was like 3.89 or something. I'm getting a series of texts from people. Well, here's one. Jeff, gas went up in Brookfield and New Berlin, and New Berlin, 50 cents overnight. So one of our listeners texts me from Brookfield. One of our other listeners said, Jeff, what's going on with gas prices? 50 cents overnight where I live as well. And I have to confess, I didn't, I didn't notice that. I noticed that from, as of last night, from the weekend, there, there had been an increase of about 20 cents a gallon, but I didn't notice that, that huge increase. Somebody sent me a text that was saying, hey, you know, gasoline is like $4.40 down in Walker's Point or something like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, obviously, hi, you know, I don't mean to make everything political, but but high gas prices are, are a really, you know, big deal. And have you noticed a spike? Has there been, in the last day or so, a huge spike in gasoline prices, or are what people are telling me is going on in New Berlin or Brookfield, is this just kind of an aberration? Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Have you seen 
like a huge spike in gasoline prices. Um, uh, Jeff, I filled up last night about 10.30 on the way home from the airport. It was $4.24 at a local mobile station. Huh. Jeff, um, $3.99 in the middle of the state. Jeff, $3.99 in Fort Atkinson today, which would be, you know, kind of a market increase. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet, uh, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. Have you noticed, have, have you noticed that this spike and if, I mean, $4.24 around here in southeastern Wisconsin, if that's, if that's typical, that's a big deal. Jeff, in Butler, gasoline was $3.67 a gallon yesterday. It's now $3.97 right now. Jeff, I saw several gas stations today in Milwaukee at $4.09 a gallon. I got three. I got it for three thirty-eight at Sam's on 125th and Bradley on Sunday. Um, yes, somebody's giving me the Sam's Club purchase, but that's that and Costco is going to be different because you have to be a member. Jeff, West Bend last night, it was $3.99. Jeff, I just came home from filling up $3.99 in Wind Lake for regular. That's up 40 cents in the last day or so. Jeff, in Sockville, overnight there was a 35 cent increase. It went up to $3.99. Jeff, we noticed a Thirty cent increase in West Bend. Current price is three ninety nine. That's from our listener Heather in West Bend. Jeff uh, three fifty nine in Lomira. Um, yeah, well, okay. That 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 might be the the answer here. If you're if you're kind of out state and if you're in Lomira and you need gas and you see it, I'm just telling you what's going on in southeastern Wisconsin is a massive a massive increase and just for whatever the reasons. You know, gas prices are one of the most visible, as we've talked about on multiple occasions, indication of inflation. And, you know, that's, that, that's because you just see it. You know, you everybody needs to buy gasoline and you see it. It's prominently displayed. You go, my God, what happened? How did it get to be over $4 a gallon? Mary Jo in Neosho. Mary Jo, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I love your... your um, Thank you. That's very kind. Your radio of station... Yeah. Hey, um, yeah. Yesterday um, morning in the show, I left for work about seven o'clock and I got gas um, about three fifty, three fifty nine. I paid because you can get the mid grade on Wednesdays in the show for the same price as regular. Oh. Well, then then I got home at seven o'clock at night and it had gone. It had gone up to three ninety nine. So forty nine, forty cents, forty cents a gallon yep. increase. Wow. Your timing yep. was your timing yep. was good at least, Mary Jo. They got that right. They got <laughs> the good stuff too. There you go. Thank, thanks for the call. I, and you know, some people are saying there, there's a refinery issue. I'm just saying that you've had, you know, one of these spikes. And it's actually, I'm getting texts. That that's one of the great things about working at WTMJ. Our listening audience is so broad. Jeff, three dollars and ninety nine cents in um, three dollars and ninety nine cents in um, Oshkosh. Let's see, Jeff, um, 124th and North, $3.99 per gallon, $3.99 in Lake Geneva, um, $3.69 at at Woodman's today. That's up $0.30 a gallon. Wow, $4.09 in Bayside. Jeff, um, Lamira, it's up $0.20 a gallon. 
Um, yeah, I, I think there's a refinery delayed. Sh- uh, the, the refinery's got to be closed a little bit longer. But um, big, you know, big, 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 big increases that are there. Jeff, they had a 45 cent uh, a gallon increase in Michigan. Again, I don't want to view everything politically here, but that's gas prices are a huge, huge factor because you can try to you can try to tell people that the economy's not that bad and this is going on and that's going on. But when you're driving and you see this, oh my God, gas prices just went up X amount of of money, um that that gets your attention and um that's that's happened um that's going on and i understand some people say it's refineries and all but this has been a major major impact jeff janesville um it was a couple days ago it was three dollars and 29 cents a gallon now it's three dollars and 99 cents a gallon uh these are not whether it's transitory although you know we were told inflation was transitory and that hasn't turned out to be the case whether it's transitory or sign of a longer indication it's if you're an elected official an incumbent this is not the thing that you want to see three or four days before the election and you try to try explaining oh it's because of a refinery or whatever all people know is another huge spike and now you know most people are paying around four dollars a gallon for gasoline which is just absolutely outrageous when we come back parking stick around i will explain we will discuss so i mean i'm talking to the the car salesman yesterday and and i'm i I was just looking at the the mid-size and the the full-size versions of, of the SUVs that I was looking at. Now, I didn't want that, but I kept saying, my gosh, this is just a huge boat. And he was saying, yeah, you understand, this is the problem nowadays. You buy this, and you're you're going, you have to realize that for a lot of the angle parking spaces, spaces and parking lots, it it's it's not going to fit, or it's only going to barely fit, you know, so you're going to be taking up that whole space. But what that means is you're going to have trouble finding parking places because if if there's somebody on either side of you, you're going to have trouble opening the doors to get out. Jeff, I think it's time to make parking spots bigger and also have um, fewer of those. Jeff, I drive a big Ram 4, and I love it, but I'm avoiding it to driving it to Milwaukee because parking it is often difficult. Um, I sometimes park, drive in a parking lot, ride a lot, and then take, you know, an Uber into the city. You know, one of our texters says, oh, Jeff, most condo garages are too small for these big vehicles, so parking outside is necessary. Jeff, I'm a nurse who parks in hospital structures. Believe me, I feel your pain. Same with the seats on airplanes. They're just not made for real people, maybe maybe kids. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, this call is probably going to upset people, but I think those oversized pickup trucks are really annoying. We have two two of them in our underground parking garage at um, at the apartment place where I live, and the trucks frequently like stick out in the aisle can and can easily get like get banged or cause mm-hmm. an accident. Yeah, and I do feel really sorry for the people who have to park next to them every day because they do have very little space and they can easily get door dings. And then the other thing that ticks me off is that when these big pickup trucks are out on the road, it seems like a lot of people don't know how to drive them because they're, they're often veering into the next lane, yep. the next lane when they shouldn't be. And then if they're stopped at like the median, the median, like people sometimes do, they often stick out in the lanes and obstruct traffic. And the other thing is that, 
how many of these people actually have to carry big loads of hay around <laughs> and really need need them? I I suspect that it's really just a trendy thing. Jeff, don't and, be a and hater. Almost <laughs> sort of like a country and western thing. Jeff, no, thanks. No, no, no thanks. So, so don't be a hater, man. That don't be a hater. If you want to buy a pickup truck, I get it. But I, I also understand here. Here, one of our texters makes the point. Jeff, most people don't have the skills to park in these undersized spots. Well, that's true too. Because I mean, I, I see that they're they're a lot of times they're just flat out over the line. But even if they're within the lines, you got a problem. Jeff, I'm happy to hear that someone else has the same issue that bugs him as I do. I can never turn right at a light because there's usually a giant vehicle next to me and I can't see if cars are coming around from the other side and also backing up in the parking lot. It's scary to me. I have a small compact car, so it's a miracle I've never been hit. Yeah, I mean, I have small SUVs, so it's a little bit bigger. Um, Jeff, these big vehicles should not plan to come to Heartland. They repainted the street lines, and now you can only fit a small SUV in them. Um, yeah, I think there's there's an element um, to that. Jeff, when I park in the lot at the VA, there are big trucks parked in spots that say compact cars only. You're right about these various spots that are there. Jeff, maybe designate a section for bigger cars, repaint the lines. Jeff, my first car was a 1967 Chrysler Newport. It was 17 feet long, and I could fit nine other friends in it. Mind you, there were no laws about seatbelts or years ago. I cannot believe now how vehicles seem to have been larger than that. Mine was a tank. Okay, I can relate to that because it wasn't my first car. But somehow, this was when I was in college. I'm not complaining because my parents gave me the car to use. Somehow my father purchased a 1970 Chrysler Newport, which was, I know exactly what this guy's talking about. It was the land yacht. I mean, you could you could put an enormous amount of people in it. We would routinely, you know, you had bench seats in the front. You could routinely, you could easily get eight people in that car. I mean, it it was just like I say, we would call it the land yacht. So I, I understand it's kind of gone full circle, but, you know, this is this is just kind of how this whole thing works. Jeff, I see a similar thing in outdoor parking, narrow, shallow, and not much space between the rows, making backing up a little scary. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. One of our other texters makes the point of the worst thing is that he, he parks in a space— the space next to him is open, but then he comes out, and you've got one of those big giant cars that's now parked in the space to the left, so he can't squeeze in to get into the door. I I, I don't know what the answer is. I just it's getting worse, not better. There's no question about it. So um, today, if you have Netflix, there there's a new. Netflix comedy that that's, it dropped today. It's it's a ten part comedy and it's called Blockbuster. And it's it, okay. There's at one point in time, you know, for Blockbuster, there were thousands of Blockbuster videos all across the country. There were a number of them in in around here. And if you are of a certain age. You can remember the big deal about Blockbuster. You know, the movies would come out like on a Thursday or Friday, and people would flock to Blockbuster to, to rent movies, and you'd physically get the movie, and you'd be going up and down the aisles, and you'd be getting, okay, these are the new releases, and you'd grab them, and then you'd go home, and you'd pop, you know, you'd pop the thing in your VCR, and you'd watch the, the movie and things like that, and then you'd have to return it, and remember, they'd say things like, be kind, rewind, and all that. So Blockbuster was the big deal. 
Now there is only one blockbuster that's left in the country, and that is in Bend, Oregon. It's the only blockbuster that, that's, that's left. So this show that's on Netflix is called Blockbuster, and it's based on this, this one blockbuster that's, that's left in Oregon. Now it's not set in Oregon. It's apparently set in Michigan. But th- this is the premise, that this is the, this is the last blockbuster that's there. And it's, it's supposed to be a comedy sort of akin to the, the Office. I don't know if it's any good. Haven't watched it. I'm going to probably, if I, get, <laughs> if I get some time tonight, I'll probably watch a, a couple of the episodes to see if it's good. Some of the reviews are kind of so-so. They say it's it's not that great, but I don't know. I, I I don't trust reviews and stuff. But I was thinking about this because it's such, to me, it is such an interesting concept because, now look, I appreciate that if you are of a certain age, when, when I talk about this blockbuster experience, you, you have no clue about what I'm talking. What is this blockbuster thing? I mean, why would you go to block? You mean you'd actually have to physically go and, and rent a, a tape? And then you'd have to bring it home, and you'd have to rewind it, and you'd have to put it in your machine, and then you'd have to watch it, and then you'd have to take it out of the machine, and you'd have to drive back to Blockbuster, and you'd have to put it in this like this this slot that they have. You, you got to be kidding me! You didn't really have to do that. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's it. In the in the era before Al Gore invented the internet, and you had streaming and things like that. Yeah, that's that's what you had to do. You had to go down to Blockbuster and actually get this. Now nowadays, I I understand people. People don't do that. We all have streaming services, or most of us have streaming services, and the deal is, you know, you you go on, you say, okay, well, let's let's see, you know, what's on, what movies do they have on Netflix or Peacock or Apple TV or or whatever? And here, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hit a couple buttons, and now the movie's gonna start. And you're gonna watch it. So I, I understand this idea of going and actually, you know, physically picking this up and bringing it back. I, I understand that that's kind of you know sort of like horse and buggy type of stuff. But, but at the same time, Blockbuster Video, it was, it was cool. And it was, at least I think it was, and it was revolutionary in its day because in those days before streaming and things like this, this was the way that you could get movies that you wanted to see, movies that maybe you'd missed in the theaters or whatever— and actually take them home and not have to wait until, okay, gee, on, on Sunday night, ABC is going to show, you know, this particular movie with commercial. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, in honor of the fact that this new, this new comedy is dropping on Netflix today, set in the last remaining Blockbuster. I, I want to have a conversation about Blockbuster. For those of you who actually remember it, and I think there's probably a lot of us out there that do. Um, do you ever miss that? Do you? I mean, look, I understand it's one of those things where just technology has passed it by. But I admit, I just used to love the blockbuster experience, especially as somebody who loves movies, just walking up and down the aisle back in the day. And it was just so amazing. I mean, nowadays, I get it. You, you go on Netflix or you go on you know, Google search and you say, okay, this is the movie I want to see. Where is it streaming? And then you figure out if you've got that streaming service and you just go do it. So there's no need for it anymore. But in its day, Blockbuster, I thought, was just absolutely exceptional. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I understand there's an election going on, but let's have some fun. Let's take a little bit of walk down memory lane. You remember blockbusters, and in a way, you kind of miss them. We discuss in just a moment, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. 
See, I, w- I was just thinking, because when I started doing the show full-time on WTMJ 25 years ago this week, I mean, Blockbuster, back that Blockbuster was still this really, really big thing. Um, at, at its height, there were over 9,000 Blockbusters, over 9,000. Then what happened is the, the corporation closed all their corporate stores in early 2014. There were about 50 remaining franchise stores. And in July of 2018, there became one. There's one Blockbuster store left. It's in Bend, Oregon. There's, there's a, and what got me thinking about this is that there's a, a, a comedy that they call Blockbuster, which is based on, it's not set in Bend, Oregon, but it's set in fictionally the last Blockbuster that's dropping on Netflix today. I don't know if it's good or not, but I kept, I kept thinking about what a big deal Blockbuster was. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it was the best video, uh, best babysitter before video games. Jeff, it was fun and easy to go out and rent movies, but it honestly seemed like a chore to return them. Um, yeah, Jeff, many, many times the new releases were gone. They only carried so many copies. Yeah, that was the deal. You had to either make arrangements and, and get there, or some places would let you reserve them. Jeff, I absolutely miss the old video stores like Blockbuster. It was an exciting time in my young years, I honestly prefer the store to the streaming. Um, yeah, that, that's um, it. Jeff, be kind and rewind. I still have my Blockbuster rental card, some, card somewhere. Um, yeah, you've got that. Um, Jeff, Blockbuster was so big back in my day, it had its own, its own saying. If you were a bar hopper you had to, and you decided not to go out, you would tell your buddy, sorry, it's a Blockbuster night. Jeff, I love Blockbuster. It was fun taking my family and picking out movies for the whole weekend. It also made you get off your butt and go out and do something. Um, yeah, Jeff, I miss it. Blockbuster came about when my kids were little. It was like a big family event for us to go to Blockbuster, grab some carryout, and then have movie night on Fridays. Both of our kids loved it as well as my husband and I. There was something for everyone, and it does bring back happy memories. Let's talk to... Rick in Illinois. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yeah, Blockbuster, great memories. Uh, like going on Friday night with my wife to go pick out movies. We, you'd look, and, like, look at all the boxes and read, <laughs> read what the movies were about. That's a fun. Oh, yeah. It it was just no thanks for calling. I'm sorry, your cell phone's a little bit tinny, but yeah, it, it was great. I and it it was again. These were like date nights. One of our texters says, Jeff, when I was in high school, we rented movies all the time. It was a heck of an excuse to sit on the couch next to your girlfriend. Well, yeah, there was that, Jeff. I remember trying to score any Alfred Hitchcock movie on a Saturday. Well, that see that was the thing. If you're a movie buff, it and nowadays I I get it. If you didn't. If you didn't grow up before video stores and VCRs and things like that, you know, it's like you don't get it. But it was at the time before Blockbusters, you were at the mercy of what was at the movie theaters or, you know, what that they would show on, on TV. So that was exactly it. If you said, hey, I, I, it's, it's Halloween and I want to see a bunch of scary movies or something like that. Well, you, you didn't have those choices. Now you could go to Blockbuster and you could, you know, grab these. Jeff, I loved going to video stores. We had a family video by us that just recently closed a couple years ago, and I was so upset. It was so much fun to go and look at the movies, buy the popcorn, all the candy and the stuff. You know, you probably shouldn't be buying, but you do it anyways. People nowadays want everything at their fingertips. Well, I mean, look, I'm not going to be critical of it. I, I, the, the convenience is, is just a huge factor. And 
and the breadth of stuff. It's like I was talking about earlier this week, I think, when it's, you know, it's it's a challenge that bookstores have. You know, I, I found an obscure book that I wanted to buy from like 40 years ago. I go on Amazon and they deliver it that day to my house. You could go to the bookstore and they're not going to have it in stock. And, you know, it, it's going to take a week to get it. No, I mean, it's, I mean, Blockbuster, the technology has surpassed it, but it doesn't mean it's not fun. Jeff, Blockbuster was my daughter's first job when she was 16. She became best friends with the manager who was a few years older. They were in each other's weddings later on. I love to read the movie jackets. It really helps determine if it was something that I wanted to watch or or not. Um, Jeff, I love going to the video store and arguing with my girlfriend about what movie to rent. Yeah, well, I tried to do that with my wife, and I, I pretty much always um, lost. <laughs> I, I pretty much always lost. Jeff, I thought it was always so exciting to take the kids on Friday night and go to Blockbuster, picking out movies for the entire weekend. It made watching TV a little bit more of a special thing rather than just turning it on. We also used to let the kids pick out a snack like Milk Duds or something like that or Dots um, that was in the big box, just like you were in a movie theater. Um, you know, that's, you know, that is, of course, very cool. Jeff, we used to go to Paradise Video on North Water Street. Yeah, there were some other, um, there were other video stores that were out there, but of course, Blockbuster was, was the big one. Brett, uh, Brett, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. This is the, this is the ultimate irony. Back when Blockbuster was 9,000 stores strong, they passed, I think, three times yeah. on buying Netflix when it's, <laughs> when it was in its infancy. Yeah. Four pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Thought, wait a minute. Wait. wait. We're, we're brick and mortar. People like watching movies on their phones, on their laptops, with, without a, you know, a, a CD or a tape. That'll never fly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, right. They just, they just never saw that coming. Yeah. You're, you're no. right. They, 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 they had the opportunity to own the, the streaming services as well and just, yeah. and just didn't have the vision to do that. Yep, it's no. missed that one chance. Quick one. Yeah. Do you, do you know what company actually invented the digital camera? I do not. A couple couple guys in Kodak. Okay. <laughs> sure. Makes... Same, same story. They, they brought it to the powers that be said, look, look at this. You won't need film. They're like, yeah, but we make film. We'll pass on that. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks for the call. Okay, this is, I, I'm again, I'm swamped with text. I really do appreciate all the texts that people send. Somebody just sent me their Blockbuster Video membership card. You know, the, the note is, still have the card. Now, now, what I think is interesting is, that they've been gone forever. You still got the card, and you knew where it was. So in the space of the 10 minutes we've been having this conversation, you could find it, take a picture of it, and and send it to me via via text. Um, Jeff, I prefer the current format. It was ideal for the times. But with technology, it's changed how we do things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not condemning the streaming stuff, and and I love having this this universe of oh, gosh, I haven't seen that movie in ages, or that sounds like something interesting, and then being able to say, oh, well, it's on Amazon Prime, I can get it for free, and, and watching it. No, I I, I love it, um, and, and so it, it's just like we would never go back to the age before Al Gore invented the Internet, but it wasn't really that long ago that Blockbuster was the hip and happening place. And if you want to kind of maybe revert to some of those days or whatever, like I say, there's this new show that's dropping on Netflix this evening. 